Please turn to Numbers chapter 8 this morning. Numbers chapter 8. Usually, and I probably will do this more often than not in the book of Numbers, usually I read the whole thing ahead of time and then we, and then we pray and then we preach through it. But uh, today I'm going to read um, the chapter sort of piece by piece as we come to it in our sermon. So we're changing it up a little bit today. We're going to read it as we come to it in the sermon. So a little bit different. So let's pray and then we will look at Numbers chapter 8. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word, and we pray that as we look into it this morning, um, that you will bless us, you will encourage us, you will stir us up to good works, you you will stir us up to faith, to courage, and we pray, God, um, that you would, you would do good work in our hearts as we look at your word. In Christ's name, amen. Um, for a while there, I lived just south of Boston. I um, lived, it's probably about a, depends on how you got there, but it was probably a 20, 30 minute trip to Boston from where I lived. So I didn't live in a suburb of Boston. I lived, you know, a little ways away. Uh, Boston was one of my favorite towns, still is one of my favorite towns uh, to visit, one of my favorite cities to visit. There's all kinds of cool buildings. It's just a, and, and it looks really cool the way it's situated uh, right on the harbor there, right on, right on the ocean. Um, it's just a, it's a cool looking city. And I, I've, I've approached that city. I've, I've arrived at that city um, by boat, by train, by subway, by plane, by car from four different directions. And every time I arrive in that city, I'm like, this city is cool looking. It's just a cool looking city. I would hate to live there. I would hate to live there. But to visit every once in a while, it's a lot of fun. It's just a fun city. And, 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 it's, and it's really cool to, to fly in. You fly right in over the ocean. And the, and the airport is like, it, it feels like it's about 10 feet away from the ocean when you, when you fly in. And then, just, and then you come in by, tr- by subway and you, you come in underground. And you, then you walk out of the subway station and it's right in the middle of all these huge buildings. Uh, it's just like, it's a cool city. No matter which way you, you come at it, it's a cool city. Jesus is an amazing, wonderful Savior, and, uh, and the wonderful thing about the Bible, one of the many wonderful things about the Bible, is that there's all kinds of approaches to Jesus. There's all kinds of different ways to come to arrive at the Gospel, to arrive at the truth, the beauty of just how wonderful a Savior Jesus is. We're going to take an odd approach this morning. We're, we're taking a weird fight, flight path to, uh, to the gospel this morning, to Jesus. Um, we're going to take the Numbers 8 path. So this is a weird one. This is not a typical one. But the point, the, the goal of the sermon this morning, where, where we want to arrive, where we want to land, is we want to see this morning just how wonderful a Savior Jesus is. The goal for me and for you is that when we leave this morning, we're, we're a little bit more impressed with Jesus than when we came in. That should always be at least part of the goal when we gather for worship. Um, but here this morning, is, it's the, it is the, 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 the aim of the sermon. It's what I'm trying to accomplish this morning in the sermon. 
So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do this the numbers eight chapter the numbers chapter eight way. So we're gonna see three things in this sermon. All right, we're gonna see how the Levites were installed. We're gonna see why the Levites were installed, and we're gonna see what all this tells us about Jesus. So this is not a typical way to arrive at the gospel. Uh, it's the Numbers chapter eight way, and I'm, I'm hoping and praying this morning that it will be a blessing to you. We're going to see how the Levites were installed. That's number one. That's the first part of our sermon. Then we're going to see why the Levites were installed. And then number three, we're going to see what all this tells us about Jesus. So we're going to dig in. How the Levites were installed. Alright, so as we've been working through the book of Numbers, we've seen that the, that the tabernacle has been completed, right? And it's been stocked. We saw that last week as the tribes came and they, and they brought the provisions, the stuff that was needed for the tabernacle, all of the, all of the animals and all of the material. So they, so the, the tabernacle has been built and it has been, and it has been stocked. And, and we've seen that the tabernacle is this wonderful tent that God has designed and He's had His people construct and it's this way that God is going to dwell with His people as they travel from out of Egypt through the wilderness to the Promised Land. God is going to be with His people in this tabernacle. And it's where the, the priests are going to teach the people what the Word of God means. It's where the priests are going to um, sacrifice the animals. They're going to, they're going to perform the offerings. It's, it's where the people are going to be made right with God. It's, it's where the, the people um, can have their prayers answered and, and, and can have the, the, the assurance that God is with them and for them. He's going to bless them and protect them. This is where the people can worship God together. It's this wonderful gift. God has given His people. And God has also given His people the wonderful gift of the Levites. And we've looked at this a little bit over the, over the past couple of months, but God has given this wonderful gift of the Levites to His people. And, and the Levites, every male from the tribe of Levi is to serve in the tabernacle and they're to make sure that things work properly. They're kind of like um, nurses in a surgery room. Uh, someone, someone gave this illustration this week, and I thought this is a really, this is a, this is a good illustration. This is a good way to imagine the Levites. They're like nurses in a surgery room. So the, the priests are the ones doing the spiritual surgery, right? They're the ones, um, doing the offerings and the sacrifices. And so, and so the, 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 the nurses, the Levites are there and they're making sure that everything's clean, everything's sanitized, the patient is clean, right? The, the utensils are clean, everything's right where it's supposed to be. The, the, the tabernacle is up and it is functioning properly and there's no rips in the, in, in the material, the, there's no uncleanness anywhere. Everything is in its place and everything is set and everything is clean. That's the, te- that's the Levite's job. And so they worked tirelessly at this. This is a vital job, and the, and the Levites worked tirelessly at this. The people coming to the tabernacle, they must be clean. The tabernacle must be properly stocked and furnished and maintained. The Levites were in charge of all that. So when we look today at, at how they're installed, we have to understand this is, this is a big deal. God giving these Levites 
to the people of Israel, to the work of the tabernacle, is a big deal. It's weird to us. It feels like, like ancient, old news and part of a, a lifestyle that we don't, even, we don't even understand. But this is a big deal this morning. So we're going to see the Levites installed. And we're going to see this is, a, this is an important process. Okay, so there's a four-step process as the Levites are installed, as they, as they officially enter the service of the tabernacle. So, first step is they're completely separated from their former life. Look at Numbers chapter 8 and look at verses 5 through 7. We're going to see the Levites being completely separated from their former life. Verses 5 through 7 say, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the people of Israel and cleanse them. Thus you shall do to them to cleanse them. Sprinkle the water of purification upon them, and then let them go with a razor over all their body, and wash their clothes and cleanse themselves. And so what we have here is that we have this ritual cleansing of the Levites. They're, they're being completely cleansed. They're, and so the, the, the point of this is so that, so that everybody around them sees that they're being completely removed from their former life. We, we, and, and I think we can probably understand that with the sprinkling of the purification water and having their clothes completely washed. Though that sim, that, th- those symbols make sense to us, but the one that's weird is when they take a razor over their whole body, right? When they shave their whole body. They're, from head to toe, they shave all their hair off. That, that symbolizes, that's a weird one, but that symbolizes that they're done with their with their former life. The, the hair, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the hair represents the person's days, their, their strength, what they've accomplished while that hair was growing. And so, while their hair was growing, it's all the stuff that they did, all the, the stuff that they're able to do, it's the strength of the days that they had as their hair was growing. It's a symbol of their life. It's a symbol of their strength. And so, when the Levites shave it all off, they're showing they're done with all of those former days. They are now committed completely to the tabernacle, to the work of the tabernacle. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, a leper would do this. If a leper was healed and cleansed of his leprosy, he would have to shave his whole body, and it was, it was a way of showing that he was done with his days of leprosy. He was turning his back on that, and he was ready to re-enter society. When a Gentile woman would marry an Israelite man, oftentimes she would shave her head. She, her head would be completely shaved, and it was showing that she was done with that former life, and she's ready to now enter into life with Israel. So that's what we have here. For everyone to see, these Levites are, are being cleansed. They're being taken away from their former life and they're ready now to commit themselves completely to the tabernacle, to the work of God. That's the first step. The second step, I'm just going to mention really quickly, in verse 8, it says, Then let them take a bull from the herd and its grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, and you shall take another bull from the herd for a sin offering. So the second thing they have to do is they have to, they have to bring two bulls for sacrifice. That's the second step. Alright, so in this installation process, they're, they're being, they're, they're completely turning away from their old life, and they're bringing two bulls for sacrifice. And then the third step, the Levites are offered to the Lord on behalf of the people of Israel. And this is an amazing part of the ceremony. This is, this is something that I would have loved to be able to see. Verses 9-11 through 11 says, And you shall bring the Levites before the tent of meeting and assemble the whole congregation of the people of Israel. 
So there's a ceremony where, where the Levites are, are being offered to the Lord in, in front of the whole congregation of Israel. And when you bring, verse 10, when you bring the Levites before the Lord, the people of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering from the people of Israel that they may do the service of the Lord. And so let's try to picture this together. All of the congregation of Israel is there, right? And, and the, if, and this would have been something that they were all familiar with, this laying on of hands. Because this word for laying on of hands is the same exact word that was used when they would go and, and the, 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 the Israelite would bring an animal to the priest to be sacrificed. They, they would bring this, this ram or this lamb or this goat or this bull or whatever, and when it was time to sacrifice this animal on behalf of their sins, if I was to bring an animal to the priest, I would lay my hand on the head of the animal. I, I, it's not just like kind of patting it. It's pressing my hand down onto the head of that animal, and it's my way of identifying myself with that animal and saying, my sin is going to be on this animal. My, this animal is going to shed its blood for my sin so that I can be made right with God. This animal is taking my place. And so, and so here, the people of Israel are, are going, and I'm, I'm like 96% sure that the ones that are laying their hands on the Levites are the firstborn sons of each family. And we'll get back to that in a few minutes. Why is the firstborn sons? But I'm pretty sure it's the firstborn sons of, of every family, and they are laying their hand on that Levite, and they're pressing down on that Levite's head, and they're saying, this Levite is taking my place. I should have to go and give my life to the tabernacle, but this Levite is taking my place for me. He's standing in my place. He's taking my spot at the tabernacle. And so that's the first part of this. As they're being offered to the Lord, they're, they're, they're laying their hands. So this is not like when we think of laying on of hands, like in the New Testament, we think of just kind of putting your hand on someone to ordain them or to pray over them or, or something like that. That's a different word. That's not what we have here. Here we have pressing your hand down and saying, this person is taking my place. Or this animal is taking my place. Now, I was practicing this sermon out loud um, with my daughter, Eden. Uh, she was in the room, and she was the only one. And so she said, and she's staying for the second service as well. So she's like, I'm going to listen to this sermon three times. And so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to quiz you guys about all of the details in the sermon, but I'm going to quiz her because she should know them after this. But she said, she said so wait, 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 wait. The Levites are going to die? The Levites have to, have to die? I said, no. It sounds like that. It sounds like that's what's going to happen, but that's not what's going to happen. The, when the Levites give their life in place of the firstborn sons of Israel, when they give their life in place of the people of Israel, they're, they're not giving their life as in they're dying right there. It's They're giving the rest of their life to serve the tabernacle. They're giving their life up in service. Their life now belongs to the tabernacle. It belongs to the work of the Lord. They are not their own. They belong completely now to the work of the Lord in the tabernacle. 
And so this is what is happening here. These Levites are taking the place of the people of Israel. And then there's a second part of this where there's a, and this is where it gets even weirder. Um, and we're glad. We're, we're, we're doubly glad now the Levites aren't going to die, that God doesn't do human sacrifice in the Old Testament, because now we get to the wave offering. So now a typical wave offering would be where if you brought an animal to be sacrificed, that priest would sacrifice the animal, but then he would cut off a piece of that animal and he would wave it before the Lord. He would take the the piece of meat and he would wave it before the Lord and then the Lord would re-gift it. Right? You guys have all got things re-gifted to you, right? Oh, I think I gave this to you last Christmas. So, but God would then give that piece of meat back to the priest and he would be able to eat it. This is the way God took care of his priests. This is the way he made sure they had enough to eat, is he would give the, the meat that they just waved before the Lord, kind of offering it to God. God gave it to the priest to eat it. And again, now, the priests aren't going to eat the Levites, but, which is a very important point, to, to, you know, just to make sure everybody's clear on that, um, but they do, there is a, a way, and I'm not sure what way, but there is a way in which these Levites are waved before the Lord. I don't know, like, I have a picture where you grab the Levite by the arm and you spin around like you do a kid, and you spin around a whole bunch. That's what I, but I, I doubt that's what really happened. Um, uh, although that's the only way I can, but I don't know, I don't know what this looked like. But there was some sort of symbolic way where the people understood that the, that the, that the Levites were being waved before the Lord. Much like a piece of meat from the sacrifice would have been waved before the Lord. And then it was also clear that, that God was giving the Levites back to the priests. God was giving the Levites to the priests saying, to, to the priests, these Levites now are going to work for you for the rest of the days of their life. This, it, 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 these Levites are going to sustain you much like that meat would have sustained them. And so we have this, we have this just incredible ceremony, and the whole congregation is watching as these Levites are being installed, as they're being offered to the Lord in front of all of Israel, on behalf of all of Israel. And then step four, the Levites bring their own sacrifices. Verses, verse 12 says, Then the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the bulls. Those bulls that they brought, they, you shall offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. And so now we, we get to something that, like, a, like a third layer of this. Right? You have, the, you have the Levites and they're taking the place of the people, but now you have these bulls that are being offered in place of the Levites. And, and these, because if the Levites are going to be clean, if the Levites are going to be, um, fit to go into the tabernacle and serve in the tabernacle, they need to have their sins paid for because they're sinners. Just like the rest of us, they're not fit to go in the tabernacle. They don't belong in there either with the, with, with the glory of God, with the holiness of God. They don't belong in there, so they have to have their sins atoned for. So the people have their hands pressed down on the Levites, and the Levites have their hands pressed down on these bulls, and, and the bulls now give their lives. Their blood is shed so that the Levites can have their sins forgiven, so that they can be clean before God, so that they can go and do the work that they're supposed to do in the tabernacle. So this is a complicated process. There's a, there's, there's a layered process. But it works. If you look at verses 20 uh, down through 26, we see that, that this works. That the way God has designed it 
It, there's a lot of links in this chain, and everything has to go right. But as long as each link in the chain goes right, it works. Verse 20, Thus did Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the people of Israel to the Levites, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, the people of Israel did to them. And the Levites purified themselves from sin, washed their clothes, and Aaron offered them as a wave offering before the Lord, and Aaron made atonement for them to cleanse them. It, it was it, all the steps. They, they did all the steps one by one. And after that, verse 22, the Levites went in to do their service in the tent of meeting before Aaron and his sons, as the Lord had commanded Moses, concerning the Levites, so they did to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This applies to the Levites. From 25 years old and upward, they shall come to do duty in the service of the tent of meeting. And from the age of 50 years, they shall withdraw from the duty of the service and serve no more. They minister to their brothers in the tent of meeting by keeping guard, but they shall do no service. Thus shall you do to the Levites in assigning their duties. It's a complicated system. It's a complicated system, but it works. And, and, and as these Levites, they, they start this process when they're 25, and when they, when they reach age 50, they, they, your Bible might say they retire from service, and that's not the vibe that's here. That's, that's not the idea that's here. It, all it means is they stop doing the heavy lifting inside the tabernacle. They let the young bucks do it. When they, when they hit age 50, they don't, they don't, uh, they, they're no longer called to to move stuff around and carry this and that and, and do like the manual labor of the of the um, setting up and tearing down and transportation of the tabernacle. Now they're to stand guard. From 50 on, uh, 50 years up, they, they stand guard. They make sure that the people who come near the tabernacle are clean, are fit. They're, they're good to be there. This is a job that calls for wisdom and for discernment and for courage and so these, these men are not retiring at age 50. They are, they are um, moving over to a different way of serving, keeping guard. They're not serving in the tabernacle. With the heavy, heavy lifting, they're serving as guards now. There's a lot of moving pieces here. There's a lot of moving pieces. But, as long as each link in the chain goes unbroken... As long as there's no weak links to the chain, it works. God dwells with His people and they are safe. And that brings us now to the second part of the sermon. And maybe that felt like seven parts of the sermon. I'm sorry, but the, that was just one big part. The first part of the sermon, how the Levites were installed. But now, now we have to look, number two, why the Levites were installed. We have to be reminded... And we've already thought about this a few times in the book of Numbers, but we need to be reminded again, why was it so important that the Levites were installed properly, that they served properly, that, that everything was handled exactly the way God described or God prescribed it to be handled? Why? Well, if you look back now at the beginning of this chapter, we, we, we get a really good picture of why that's important. Look back at chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. I almost preached a whole sermon on these four verses this week. Um, but I literally, I want to be done with numbers by Christmas. So uh, that's, that's, that's literally the reason I didn't do just a sermon on these four verses. Because um, 
we could be here a while. But listen to this. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you set up the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. And Aaron did so. He set up its lamps in front of the lampstand, as the Lord commanded Moses. And this was the workmanship of the lampstand, hammered work of gold. From its base to its flowers, it was hammered work. According to the pattern that the Lord had shown Moses, so he made the lampstand. Now, this, this little group of four verses is just kind of in the middle. There's the, there's the big offering last week, the, the, the big ceremonial offering where they come and they bring their gifts to the tabernacle, and then we have the, the, the cleansing of the Levites here in chapter 8. But in between those two, like right here, it's just these four verses about the lampstand. Just sort of, just sort of in there. What is the, what is the point? What is, what is God describing here? Why is this here? I wish I could preach like a 40-minute sermon on this. I'm only going to mention one thing. One thing. Did you see where, where God says in verse 2, when you set up the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. The light has to hit out in front of of the lampstand. Now, if you read through the book of Exodus, you would you would see uh, that that in front of the lampstand now. So, what the light is hitting when these candles and they're pointed and the lampstand is pointed out out in front and it's hitting the 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 area out in front of the lampstand. What is it hitting? It's hitting this table. And on this table, in the holy place, is a, a big pile of bread. There are twelve loaves of bread piled up on a table. And day in and day out, 24-7, the light is shining on those 12 loaves of bread. This is a constant reminder that the glory of God is dwelling with the 12 tribes of Israel. It is a constant reminder that God intends to be with His people, to bless them, to protect them, to guide them, to govern them, to give life and grace to them. God is going to be with His people. This light shining on these twelve loaves piled up on this table in the holy place is this day in, day out reminder that God intends to be with His people. Which is glorious news. And I could go off about Jesus being the light of the world and, and not only the light of the 12 tribes, but Isaiah tells us that's, that's, that's not enough for him. He's going to be the light of the world and how he comes in John. I'm not going to talk about that, though. I'm not even going to mention it. I'm not even going to think about it because I'll get distracted and start preaching a different sermon. We're not going to do that. All I'm going to point out today is the, the, the glory of God the, in, the intention of God to dwell with His people is a beautiful thing, but it's also a dangerous thing. It is a dangerous thing because God is completely holy. He is completely sinless and He has a pure, perfect hatred for sin. And so sin and sinners are not safe in His presence. This is why the Levites are needed. This is why when it comes time for them to be installed, they have to be installed exactly the way God says. And when it comes time for them to serve, they have to serve exactly the way God says. Because God has a very specific design. And as long as that design is met, 
then he can dwell with his people and they will be safe with him. Look at verses 16 through 19. It says, it says, for they, the, the Levites, are wholly given to me from among the people of Israel. Instead of all who open the womb, the firstborn of the people of Israel, I have taken them for myself. For all the firstborn among the people of Israel are mine, both of man and of beast. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated them for myself. And I have taken the Levites instead of the firstborn among the people of Israel. And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons, the, the priests, from among the people of Israel to do the service of the people of Israel at the tent of meeting and to make atonement for the people of Israel that there, may be, that there may be no plague among the people of Israel when the people of Israel come near the sanctuary. So God has a system here. God says, you have to remember, I have rescued you. By my own grace, I have rescued you. He goes, you have to remember, there was, there was the ten plagues in Egypt, and that tenth plague, the, the, one that, the, the one that finally wrangled you away from Pharaoh, that tenth plague was the last and the worst one. It was when the, 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 the angel of death came and wiped out all the firstborn sons in Egypt. God says, you have to remember that. And you have to remember that when that angel of death came, when that plague came and took out the firstborn sons, your firstborn sons were spared. I had mercy on you. I passed over you. And, he, and God says, so when I did that, I consecrated those firstborn sons for myself. This was the way you were to honor me for my mercy and my grace to you, for rescuing you. This is the way you were to honor me. And, and God says, and I've made it even easier than that. I'm not going to take your firstborn son to have him serve in the tabernacle. I'll take a, a Levite instead of the firstborn son. God has been merciful and just here. And he says, but you have to. You have to do this right or else a plague will come upon the people. If the firstborn sons aren't atoned for, which means if, if there's not someone to stand in the place of the firstborn son, then you're in trouble. And if, and if there's not a bull to pay for the sins of the Levite, then you're in trouble. And if that priest doesn't offer the sacrifice properly, then you're in trouble. As long as everything's in place, everything's good. And we see as we work through the, old, the, the book of num Numbers and then as we work through the whole Old Testament, things fall apart, don't they? There's a complicated problem here. The problem in the Old Testament, it is a complicated problem. The problem of our sin, of our guilt before a holy God is a complicated problem. And for a while... This complicated solution in Numbers chapter 8 works. But we see, as we work through the Old Testament, it falls apart because the, the, the links to the chain break. What does this, all this tell us about Jesus? What does all this tell us about Jesus? shows us that in Jesus we have a complete 
solution to an incredibly complicated problem. If if you, in this room, in your heart, if you're tempted to say, my sin before God, my problem, my sin before God, my, my, my sin before a holy God isn't that big of a deal, or we don't need to talk about that, or that's, you know, that's just discouraging, or we don't wanna, we don't wanna hurt anybody's feelings, or we, let's, let's downplay that, let's mute that. If, if we respond that way, then we are either mitigating and muting and downplaying the holiness of God, or we are, we are severely underestimating how bad our sin is. If we think for a moment that we don't have a complicated problem, if, if we think for a moment when we look out and we watch the news and we talk to our neighbors and we, we watch the, what's, what's happening in our world, we, as we watch what's happening in our hearts, and we realize our own sin goes deeper than we want it to, and then the, the, the sin of the world is a big, tangled up mess, and we don't know which strings to pull on to try to get this sorted out. If we, if we can look in our own hearts and we can look at our world and say this is not a complicated problem, then we are grossly underestimating the holiness of God or the depth of our sin. The wonderful thing about Jesus is that he gives a simple, complete solution to our complicated problem. Jesus never once Never once did Jesus have to take a a lamb to a priest and press his hand down on that lamb's head and say, this lamb's blood needs to be shed for my sin. Jesus never had to do that because Jesus never sinned. Instead, Jesus himself lay down his life, the lamb in our place. Jesus laid down his life for us on the cross. And Jesus has said to us, come to me, count me as your sacrifice. You can imagine now, you can imagine and you can get a pretty good theological picture in your head if you imagine us pressing our hand down on the head of Jesus and saying, Father, please accept His blood on our behalf. Please take Him in our place. Please count Him. Please count Him. His perfect record. His sacrificial death. Please count Him in our place. And we don't have to do that over and over and over again. And we don't have to worry if Jesus is going to drop the ball like the the Levites could and did. the, The priests could and did. We don't have to worry about that. Because Jesus and His sacrifice on the cross was once and for all. His perfect life and sacrificial death once for all. God accepts Jesus as our final sacrifice for sin. Let's not kid ourselves. If we had to sort this out ourselves, we we could never do it. It's a complicated problem. The wonderful thing about Jesus is we don't need a seven-step solution. We don't need any of that. 
We don't need to come back every day or every week or every month or every year and offer new animals and, and hope against hope that the priest is doing his job and the priest himself is right before God and the Levites are doing their job and that the Levites themselves are right before God. We don't have to, we're not banking on any of that. We just need Jesus. His perfect life, his death on the cross, his resurrection. The wonderful thing about this is, is, is no matter how complicated and ugly your own sin feels to you at this moment, you have a, you have a straightforward solution. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, and no matter how tangled up the lives of the people you love are, no matter, no matter how, I mean, so they've, they've, they've lived a life where they have both sinned and been sinned against. And they have, I mean, and so they come to you with their stories, and you wouldn't know how to start untangling that, even if you could. We have a simple, straightforward solution. We have a complicated problem, that's true. The solution is simple. His name is Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way you teach us and you grow us in your grace. We pray, God, that you would you would help us to see just how complete and good and straightforward atonement is through Jesus Christ. Help us to see the beauty of the gospel. Help us to have joy. Help us to have courage to believe it. And help us to have courage to tell it to others. In Jesus' name, amen.